There has never been a better time than now to come join the Belicio Foods team. Belicio has a new contract in place with plenty of awesome perks for their employees. From increased wages, access to the free health clinic, vacation after six months, and much more, Belicio Foods is committed to putting their employees first. For more information or to apply, visit BelicioFoods.com careers. Take advantage of these great new employee benefits and join the Belicio team today. Visit BelicioFoods.com careers to learn more. Happy Friday, everyone, and <laughs> welcome to another edition of The Morning Show. There we are, right here on Main Street TV, and um, welcome, welcome. It is Friday. Happy Friday. I'm glad it's Friday. Yes, 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 yes. Um, so, yeah, of course, um, Jennifer here, of course, to start off the show. And, you know, we have a very special guest here uh, sitting beside me today, and his name is Scott King. And, Scott, you are... Um, you have quite a story to tell, so we're excited to have you here today. Thanks thanks for having me, and I'm glad to be able to talk about this. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we only have an hour, and I have a feeling that we could sit here for, you know, an entire day and, yeah. and talk about um, some of your experiences and things. But first off, kind of give everybody a little bit, uh, tell everyone a little bit about yourself. Uh, are you from here? That kind of stuff. And then we'll go from there. Yeah, yeah, I'm from here. We're we're fourth generation Jackson County family. And, uh, I work for the city of Jackson. I've been with the city a little over a decade now. Um, and I think it was, it was my life before I came home to the city that, that we're going to be talking about today. That's right. And, um, what do you do at the city? I, I'm a garbage man. I work on the trash route. That's so fun. You know, growing up, you know, you see the garbage man and they get to hang on the end of the truck and that just seems so fun. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I'm glad you think that way. <laughs> no, He's it like, can't yeah. be. Yeah, it can be fun. But, you know, I make a joke and I, I, I tell people, but there's truth in it that um, when I came home from overseas, uh, I never wanted to be a garbage man. But being a garbage man gives me everything I want. So I'm, I'm pretty content. I love that. That's such a good way to look at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And your lovely uh, bride, uh, Kat, is here, too. So, hi. Welcome. She's uh, she's the woman behind the man, huh? She, yeah. Yeah, she's <laughs> as much a part of this story as, as anything. That's right. Absolutely. All right. So, let's get to it. So, there has been, um, if, if you all saw the most recent telegram, it's the one here with the, um, the Ohio Hill Country Festival royalty on it. If you flip over to the bottom part, there is a story about uh, Scott here, and it's there. It's entitled Scott King Padshaw. Padshaw, yeah. So, tell us what that means, um, because obviously there's some story behind that. Padshaw is uh, it's from the Dari language, and it, it simply means king. So when I was in Afghanistan, um, and that's. Uh, Dari is a pretty basic language, and I, you know, I picked up on on the basics of it pretty pretty quick, and uh, and I became Pacha, which is King and Dari, and uh, so that's what they all called me, and that's what they still call me. Very good. So you spent time. You said about six years. Yeah. Yeah. Six in years. Afghanistan. Yeah. For the for the most of my time was in in the stand in Afghanistan. Um, the latter part, uh, the company utilized me, and I would bounce between Iraq and Afghanistan um, fulfilling tasks that they had for me to to do. And about what years were, were those? I arrived in Afghanistan in two, 2004, and, and I left in 2010. Okay. So. Were you scared to go? I left Kosovo uh, to go to Afghanistan, and I went straight from there, straight from, from uh, Kosovo to Afghanistan, which Kosovo just experienced. Uh, conflict at the time and going into Afghanistan uh, it was a little you know it was a little nervous at first because it was a pretty active uh, war zone things yeah. were really active in Iraq yes uh, but I think Afghanistan was just as I'll use the word active but at that time all the all the news media was in Iraq was talking so about they were Saddam getting, Hussein and all of that 
Madness. The search was on for Saddam, you know, uh, the weapons of mass destruction and all this. But we were in Afghanistan. There wasn't a whole lot of, of, of news media there. Okay. Uh, but the conditions, the situations, uh, the activities were, were pretty pretty parallel. Okay. And were you in the military? Is that how you ended up there? I guess we did. We <laughs> failed to mention that part. How did uh, you get there? I, or why I, were you there? I, I was a private security operator, private military operator. And uh, we, my project in Afghanistan, where we landed, was for we provided security for the U.S. Embassy in Kabul. Um, after I'd been there a couple months, I began to elevate up through up through the hierarchy. And okay. Eventually, by the time I left in 2010, I was the uh, global's country operations manager. Um, so to, to put that to kind of uh, define that through uh, military terms, and not to sound lofty, but that would be the yeah for all of us that have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> that that would be the the civilian equivalent to a to a general Petraeus. You know, uh, you, you know we I was the highest rank within our company of what we call boots on the ground. Okay. And Global had a uh, Global Strategies Group. It was a uh, it was a British based company, but we had offices in Washington, which they pulled me out of operations for a while, and they reassigned me to Washington. Uh, but we had, you know, we had a huge, a huge footprint there. Okay. Uh, we had security for the U.S. Embassy, Kabul Airport, Kandahar Airport, uh, the currency exchange programs, uh, all the democratic processes that was, you know, we were trying to assist Afghanistan with voting. Okay. So we provided security for all the all the voting polls, all the candidates, and so on. And then there was just a, um, there were so many what we call boutique projects, you know, sure. little, little smaller, smaller projects, you know, a smaller project may still have two or 300 global employees on it. Right. That those were considered small, the bigger ones. We worked with us army Corps of engineers down in, in, uh, in Kandahar and Lashkagar down in Southern, uh, the Southern part of Afghanistan. So we were, we were countrywide. And like I said, we had a huge footprint there. Okay. And, um, so you say that was a British-based company. Was it mostly Americans working there, or was it a uh, mixture of yeah, folks? Yeah, another joke I used to make was you could fly a you know United Nations flag over our our compound or okay. our, our, our uh, the places, the locations we lived because we had um, <laughs> yeah we had lots of Brits, lots of Yanks, uh, we had Canadians, we had Australians, we had uh, South Africans. Um, you know, all working all, together. All these guys, yeah. We would uh, a lot of them were former former military. Like a lot of the Canadians were all uh, former uh, what the Canadians call JTF two Joint Task Force two, which okay. is Canada's equivalent to our SEAL teams. I gotcha. And okay. we had some SEALs come on project. I helped the local SEAL get hired over here from from this area. Um, so we, uh, you know, everybody was former military. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them were what we would call tier tier one operators. And they would make the transition from military service into into private contracting because the money was lucrative. Sure. And you're basically still doing what you're trained to do. Kind of the same so, thing. Yeah. So what is your background in training? Um, how, how does one get to where you were? <laughs> um, you know, I was in the Marine Corps right out of right out of high okay. school, but then I came out and I spent several years in, in law enforcement. And gotcha. uh, a lot of that involved oversight, administration of, of uh, the drug drug task forces sure. around the state. Uh, and you mean there's a drug problem? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What? Yeah. It, uh, <laughs> well, that's been 20 years ago and it still hasn't went away. So no. but, uh, you know, anytime you're dealing with narcotics um, enforcement, uh, along with that comes the tactics. So you're, you're trained in, uh, we were trained with Columbus SWAT and you, you basically, you know, you just, you get your experience doing a lot of search warrants and things like that. Sure. Um, I'm not as technical as this studio, but, uh, you know, we had experience running investigations, uh, special investigations, you know, so we would wire informants up. We would, gotcha. we would hardwire rooms and covert cameras and stuff like that. And after I left law enforcement, I went to, to law school. Capital Law School. I only went halfway through, and uh, hey, you can always go back. <laughs> well, I've thought about it at times, but I, I've got a I've got a pretty simple life here <laughs> in Jackson, and I, you know I like it. Um, so, uh, it reached a point where you know you thought, man, you've got to give up your dreams so your family can have have theirs. 
And so I took all those tactical skills sure. and, and being able to administer uh, active units, if you will. Mm-hmm. And I just transcended all that right into, right into overseas operations. So. Well, there you go. So now you know. There's that's the story. That's the, the background. Version. Yes, a very condensed version of a very long story. So, okay, so the article that um, was written, and I know that you uh, talked quite a bit with the folks downstairs at the Telegram, and and um, Alex uh, did a wonderful job. We were just talking about that, Alex. I mean, when I read that story, I didn't. I, I took. I wanted to take a while to let it soak in because the words. Thanks for this. You did a wonderful job. Just didn't even touch it. Yeah. And it was so heartfelt. And, you know, the thing about Alex, he, uh, when I talked to Pete, I said, maybe we could send someone to the house and I think they'll be able to get a, a, a better grasp sure. on this. And Alex came in and he, you know, he looked around at things and I mean, very quickly, but he got right to the meat of the story, which was the human side of it. Yes. And, and that's what it's about. This is playing out right now on the international stage, almost by the hour. Yes. The story is developing it's, constantly. It's kind of like COVID. It changes minute to minute, it's I changed, feel like. It's changing minute to minute. Um, but Alex, uh, you, you know, being so intelligent and so intuitive, yes, um, he was able to grasp the, the humanity side of this. And he did just an, it's a, an amazing piece that he wrote. It is. And if you haven't picked up the article, please do so um, and, and read because... Um, we have an hour to talk and, and that's it. And, um, you know, you, you will find out quite a lot out, out of that article. So speaking of, of, um, what you're doing and thank you for what, for what you're doing. That's again, not enough, but, um, tell everybody a little bit about what the heck is going on right now, because all we see are on the news. You turn on the news, you see two things. Um, well, three things right now because of the hurricane, um, hurricane, COVID, Afghanistan, um, uh, not necessarily in that order. Um, a couple of weeks ago, it starts hitting the news that all of a sudden we're just going to leave Afghanistan. We being the Americans. Yeah. Um, but that sounds all well and good. And we all go, Oh, okay. We left Afghanistan or we're leaving Afghanistan. That's when you start getting calls, right? Uh, or way before that. Yeah, but. actually, it was it was before that. Um, you know, from my time in Afghanistan and, and at the elevation I was at, uh, you you meet so many mm-hmm. people, you know, and you and you, you become friends with them. So um, we've communicated over time. We're on Facebook together, and and there's a there's a relationship, a friendship there. And what had happened here, the SIV, the Special Immigration Visa Program that we're working on, okay, has been around, uh, you know for a long time. I mean, it's a, it's an established process. And what is that exactly? It's, if you don't mind. Yeah. The special immigration visa program is where the U S state department, they can, they can grant a special immigration and SIV special immigration visa to someone. And then there's criteria that you have to meet. Okay. Um, what makes it special is, is the, is the criteria you have to be under threat or, you know, some other circumstance or situation. So in this case, because of uh, the Afghan, uh, my Afghan friends, their affiliation, association with us, that kind of pushes them towards I that SIV process. going to say pretty much everyone that talked to an American ever would qualify, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it, <laughs> I mean it, uh, you know, these... these in the uh, state of things today. Th- these friends were in, in our service, um, okay. as my friend Omen, and I can't think of a better description than what he used. He had interviewed with an ABC affiliate down in, in North Carolina. And uh, I can't quote him exactly, but the, the, the gist of it was that when America came to Afghanistan, uh, it, was, it was in darkness. And the Afghan interpreters and the other team members, uh, the drivers and, and, uh, and the shooters is what we called them, uh, they were the light. They, they would shine light on the way to go. So basically he's implying and he's stating that we couldn't have done it without them. You know, sure. they help show us the way. Okay. Now, personally, I can say that my Afghan friends, I have no doubt that uh, I wouldn't be here if, uh, I mean, I, right off the bat, I can think of a couple times uh, where if they hadn't intervened, uh, 
we would have went into a very bad situation. Okay. So they played a crucial role in partnering with us to, to further the U.S. government's objectives and goals. Well, how did you know who to trust? Sometimes you didn't. Uh, okay. There was, you know, we would vet them the best we could. Mm-hmm. And when I say vet, I mean, we, in America, we call background or, mm-hmm. you know, do your background investigation. Um, this is one of the difficult things where people, uh, they have difficulty understanding this because it's not like here. Uh, I suppose I could Google your name and you're going to get some information, your association with, with your business and your association here and maybe some affiliates. Sure. Um, Afghanistan, that structure is not like that. It's very rudimentary. Okay. Um, archaic. Okay. So what you do is, uh, at least what I did, you know, you try and you compensate a little bit. Once you begin to get a feel, you put your finger on the pulse and you kind of get a feel for the situation, the environment, um, and who you can, who you can trust. Yeah. Uh, at least you want to believe you can. And Afghan, uh, Afghanistan's got huge families like we do here, you know, sure. like extended family and so on. And you begin to bring them in and then you'll start bringing the, the family in too. I see. Uh, okay. So what happens is, I mean, you vet them, uh-huh. you, you make sure that you want to try and make sure that there's, it's not like here where you can run a, a warrants check or, a, right. a, or go get a background investigation or go to the courthouse and pull, you know, their okay. property owner. It's just that, that type of infrastructure doesn't exist there. Uh, so there were some things you had to take at face value and a lot of it you had to go on intuition. So say your gut just is going to have to tell you things. Yeah. And then in time, you know, they will, they'll, they'll prove themselves. They'll prove their loyalty to you. Um, so that's kind of how that, that worked. I see. Um, you know, I mean, once you, uh, once you begin to build, we would, I think we would stand up projects as we call stand up. If I use terminology that doesn't make sense, then just say, wait a minute, what does that mean? Okay, I will. Um, let's say we would get a get a contract. We would win a contract out of Washington or, or some other place, and we had to stand up a project. Okay. Um, uh, Main Street TV is going to send the team into Afghanistan to start doing live broadcasts, and we're going to have a journalist team of, you know, 10. <laughs> yeah, so just a Sweet. suggestion. I can't <laughs> wait. James already just ran out of the room. So we would, you know, uh, this would be, be like a like a small boutique project. Okay. And so all of a sudden you need maybe 30 team members, Afghans, a couple expats I'd bring in. So I would start screening the expats off our applicant pool out of London, uh, where they would house everything from U.S. to the Australians and so on. And I'd say, based on the credentials, give me this, 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 this. So they might send me 10 expats. Okay. And then in the meantime... You know, I would get one of my trusted Afghans to say, okay, now we need, I'm going to need 30 people for uh, residential security, for mobile security teams, uh, for personal bodyguard work, and so on, with an expat overseeing these teams. Gotcha. So I'm giving you the whole structure of how sure. how a team works. Too. Yeah. But, um, you know, they would start bringing them in. And it's one of those things where, you know, I, I may not know James, but I know you. Uh-huh. And... If, if I he's say James okay is with good you, people, he's good. Yeah. So it's your credibility in line with me until James proves himself. Sure. And then in the process, like I say, because I was there so long, I get to know James and, and now he's good to go. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's a loose process, but it works. Well, it's kind of, as you said, archaic. And the fact that we just have to, you know, you have to go off, off your intuition and, um, just believe in the fact that people are good by nature. Well, yeah, it's, but it was a more than belief. I mean, when, over when there, there, it's yeah. When there's you know when there's an insurgency that that wants to take you out, uh, that wants to disrupt your operation and what you're trying to accomplish and achieve, um, there's more there's more at stake. But it still boils down to there's a human trust factor. Sure. Uh, and even if you were to interview for an intern at the station. They may come in and you may see something about them or get a feeling you don't like. It could be something as trivial as the hairstyle or a shirt, something they've got on. Yeah. But you look at their credentials and you talk to people about them and you get that feeling and say, no, this person's really good. I think he would benefit with, you know, his experience that you can teach him. And I believe you would enjoy working with him. And so you give them a chance and they work out. They okay. prove, they yeah. prove themselves. So it's sort of, it's nothing unusual for what we've 
do usually, we just may not notice it as much. And then the stakes may not be as high as they were well, over there. Yeah, I mean, you're talking life and death situations. Yeah. So over the course of time, you know, I have a chance to meet, uh, really develop personal relationships with a lot of these. With a lot of people. A lot of them. When you're there yeah. six years and you're at that elevation, you know, you, you have complete oversight. So Okay. Uh, about, I'm going to say, uh, it's probably been six weeks ago now. Probably about a month ahead of the withdrawal. Okay. Um, you know, I began to receive, Podshock, can you help me with an SIV? Yeah, sure. Okay, what's going on? And they said, well, the Taliban, the Taliban. Well, the Taliban has always been there. But um, the surge really began to happen as you began to see the Taliban close in on Kabul. Okay. And begin to strangle off the country. So Kabul to Afghanistan is our Washington, D.C. Okay. That's the nation's capital. Okay. And, you know, it's that last vestige of, of security and stability. And so when that's threatened, when that when that reaches a point where it's threatened, the country is near collapse at this point. So the, the SIV request really began to ramp up. Now let me pause there for a minute and take you back in time. Earlier, I'd said that the SIV process is nothing new. It's been around. I've mm -hmm. utilized that since 2016, 17. And so far at this point, I've brought over or had assisted um, 13, maybe maybe 15 Afghans in coming to America. So they're just, they're running for their lives, basically. Now they is, are. Okay. Yeah, now, now they are. The earlier groups, not so much. Um, they, they worked with us. Uh, you know, the earlier groups, I, I mean, I, I really know them very personally. Mm -hmm. uh, oftentimes I would see them every day. We'd have, have our chai together. We would, you know, involve their meetings. So I had a really good, strong personal relationship with them. Um, their reasons for coming over back then was because uh, they wanted a better life. Sure. You know, now the threat, the danger has always, always been there, even on our good days you could still be subjected to uh, suicide bombers, uh, vehicle, uh, we call them VBI, vehicle-borne improvised explosive okay. devices, yep. where they would just load, pack a car full of explosives and sure. bolts and nuts and ball bearings and park it right outside the office here. And then when everyone boom. comes downtown for lunch, bam, they just detonate. Oh, you wow. know? So those threats were always there, rocket attacks, mortar attacks, sometimes open contacts, open assaults on the street. But... Um, I don't know how to explain it. It's it's just the risk you take. It's the equivalent of us going from here to some other place, uh, Chillicothe or, or Jacks or Wellston, and you face the threat of potential drug drivers. Uh, you know, sure, I mean, just, there's always oh, something. You there's can, always going to be something that can disrupt yeah. your, your plans. But theirs is a little extreme. Theirs are more fatal. Yeah. And um, But the reason I bring that stuff up is that this early batch, we – we had all just became, uh, you know, you bid the job type deal. You you know where you're going. When I was going into Afghanistan, I know it wasn't going to be the Caribbean. I knew it wasn't sure. going to be Myrtle Beach. It wasn't going to be a vacation. There are threats involved. That's why you uh, compensated so well. Sure. But um, so this early batch of Afghans, they just wanted to come to America for a better life. Which is why a lot of people want to come to America. That's why our ancestors wanted to come to America. So yeah. this is nothing new. You know, people, some people may get bent over this or upset or, but this is history just well, kind of repeating itself. Love it or hate it, this country is by far, and I know that you've seen others, um, you know, our freedoms and the things that we get away with um, are much better than any other place. Yeah, we're the best. Yeah. I mean, by far, we're the best, at least at the moment. I think our reputation is sliding, and that's a whole other political issue. I really don't want to politicize this. Uh, I want to, I'd like to keep it on the humanity side. Yeah. But this story will reach a point where it's going to crash into Absolutely. The, to the politics of it because that's where the breakdown has occurred. And okay. we, we can talk about that. Yeah. Okay, so back on this early group, it, you know, if I can – give you an image like this, um, you can pull up your phone and you, you can Google image walking man on the moon. And you say, look here, Scott. And we see this and we say, wow, we did it. You know, there is, we've been able to put people walking on the moon. Sure. Now you and I will never be there, but 
there it is. Proof. The Afghans pull up their phones and they type, uh, they search for an image of uh, Walmart or McDonald's drive-thru, something that we do every day. And they know it's real, Jennifer, but they'll never see it. They'll never see that. Okay. So when I say come to a better life, that's what they wanted to do. They thought America is going to be better for me and my family. And we were able to, you know, I was successful in helping them come. Now, um, we, I've got some resettled in North Carolina since 2016, 17, maybe. When they come over, do they have like a job in mind or do they just come over looking for that better opportunity? Yeah, they come over looking for the better opportunity, whatever presents itself. Okay. Um, most of them, there's uh, there's a huge, uh, there's an enclave of them that have resettled up in the Northern California area. And uh, like I say, you know, I've stayed in communication with them. They'll ask me questions and stuff during their resettlement process, uh, car registrations. How do I do this? So <laughs> Just basic everyday. It's like you're raising yeah, children. You yeah. got a kid away at college. <laughs> Dad, how do I? Okay, well, here's how you do this. So, but to give you wow. an idea of the different, the, the spectrum of, of how they've um, acclimated into American society. You know, I have one who works at Domino's Pizza and then he delivers um, food in, through DoorDash in the evenings. And he makes money. You know, he, he's made a life for he and his family. Another one has opened up his own Afghan grocery store in Sacramento, doing very well. So another one is a truck driver in North Carolina, an over-the-road truck driver. So they come in and they they acclimate. You know, how are they accepted though into the country? Because you know, oh, Afghan, you know, Afghanistan bad. I, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like you think of that, and oh, you came here from Afghanistan. You must be a terrorist. The stories, you know, some of the things they've shared with me has never been like that from a prejudicial standpoint. Good. Uh, you know, uh, if there has been, they just haven't shared it with me. Good. But I can't imagine it being any different than uh, in our local community, you know, when we welcome Chinese and open up a restaurant business and, uh, you know, Hispanics who want to open up their restaurant, uh, you know, in a... You'd hope and, that people would be welcoming yeah. and accepting. I mean, I think it's really cool when just when you look at the the composure of Jackson, we're kind of our own little melting pot, mm -hmm. you know. And I think that speaks a lot about who we are yes. as Appalachian Americans, you know. Uh, That's a whole so, other story you and I could do about yeah. the fact that we're nice down here, even though no one knows we exist. <laughs> South of 70, but that's a whole other. But I think story. on a bigger level, that's, you know, they've just been embraced. Just and, been accepted. And, uh, okay. yeah, you know, America's okay. always been a melting pot. This is nothing new. We're not reinventing the wheel. Yeah. So. Well, good. Now. So, yeah. Okay. I'm on a roll now. No, that's um, good. So that's the first group. That's the first group of, you know, I'll call it the early group. Now, the sudden group, the surge, this has all been event driven. Because they've seen this coming. We've seen this coming. They've seen it coming. And then they've got my attention saying, what's going on? Why are they getting all these SIV requests? Yeah, it's good to hear from you, you know, brother, dos, la, la. Uh, what's happening? Well, yeah. The Taliban, sir. The Taliban Padshah is coming. So you click on the news and it's like, holy cow. This thing's kicking off over there again. And just like that, bam, they're in the capital. They've taken over. Now it's... Um, it's a, it's a really, really bad situation for them. All right, let me stop you right there because I'm very confused on something, and I hope you can answer this um, in normal people terms. We have been there for 20 years. Mm. How in five minutes does the Taliban take over the capital of Afghanistan? Well, I think that's a question that America is, is asking. Um, how could this happen? Uh, yeah, and, I mean, I'm may, asking, and I don't know squat about squat. You know, you know? I'm I'm uh, uh, I'm a believer in the pullout, the withdrawal. It's time. Two decades is is long enough. However, where I where I'm going to get very critical, and like I mentioned earlier, this is where the the humanity is going to bump into the politics of this. Yeah. You know, I've seen Jaffe do better shutdowns of the Apple Festival than the way this was conducted. Okay. It's it's a fiasco. And uh, human lives are at stake here. Human, this is going to be paid for in human lives. So um, there's going to be more come out on this. It, it, as this story develops, a lot of it's going to be after the fact now because there are certain things on the ground in Afghanistan. Once that last plane lifted up, 
very little is going to change for them until we can continue to crank these these letters out and hopefully get them in what I call the pipeline, the SIB pipeline. Okay. And even then, the State Department doesn't seem to be giving any guidance on, okay, we're gone, but here's how we're going to get you out. See, and that, okay, that's what I was, I, I hope we're not going all over the place because I have all these questions. But, no, um, yeah, ask them. So folks are, are asking you to write them letters of recommendation to help them get out and run, they're running for their lives or t- attempting to, but yet America, we're gone. Wait, we're gone. Yeah. We're gone. So what happens when, like, what airport do they go to? Like, how do they, how the heck do they get out? We're gone. Yeah. Well, that's, that's where we're at now. Okay. Um, that's where we're at right now this morning as we answered uh, messages and, and emails from Afghanistan. Um, when I say in the article, I mentioned ground truth, because you can turn on any major news network and you can get the report. You can get some video, you know, backing whatever their narrative is on it. But when we get messages through Messenger, WhatsApp, my email, they're calling me at night. Um, to me, that's ground truth. That tells me exactly what's going on right now. Now, Not what you week, see in the media, yeah. what's actually happening. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's I mean, it, you know, they're good to support and they'll flash a, a, some type of video footage on and, and then they'll s- spin their narrative. Um, and that's whether, <laughs> what, what'd whether you just say? Yeah, spin their narrative is whether they're right or left. I mean, it's still their, their story. Right. But the story that I'm interested in, really the only story right now I'm interested in is what I call the ground truth. And that that's is from, truth. that's from the Afghans. That's from the Afghans. Last week we were getting, you know, we'd received ground truth from the gates of Kabul airport, Podshah. The, I can't get in the gate. I would say, hand hand your phone to the soldier. Let me speak to them. Sir, I can't get close. I can't get close, sir. I can't get close. So they would turn around, and there's Taliban behind them. That's the situation they're in. And you can hear their children crying in the so background. So they're that close to getting out, and they can't. And they they can't. can't. Now, these are people with documents in their hands. Now, oh. I've got to be careful here because... I, I tell them, so you've got, you've got to be very careful. They know what to do. They've grown up in this environment. But the same information, the same documentation I provide them and to the State Department to get them into this SIV process is the same documentation that will indict them for a death sentence with Taliban if they're caught with it. So it's a very precarious journey that they're taking to get to the airport. And I would finally tell them, say, look, stay home because the, I've spoke to SIV. Then they tried to do, uh, for lack of a better term, and to help the listeners, the the viewers understand, almost like an underground railroad. You know, you stay there. We're going to send an ambiguous little vehicle or a cab, or we'll have you meet here, pick you up, bring you in. Well, that never happened. But it was still safer for them to stay at home at the time. Now, in the meantime, you're also getting mail saying, Pacha, the Taliban is outside my door, or I've had to run out back. They've had to leave. I've had to destroy my phone and my computer because they'll just set up checkpoints, Jennifer. If we wanted to leave this building and go across the street uh, to the spot on Main and have a coffee, well, there may be a Taliban checkpoint there. Give me your phone. Where are you coming from? Who are you? Give me your documentation. Empty your, you know, so it's, so they get this stuff. Um, and the consequences of, of, of getting caught with the wrong stuff can be, Fatal. Yeah, yeah, it's over for them. Um, so that was last week. It, it, it was chaotic. Um, on a personal level for my wife and I, it was heartbreaking. Yes. Because when they're at that gate and they're in that throng of thousands and thousands and they're thousands so of close. people with their children, um, with no bathroom facilities, no food, no water. I, if you've seen the footage, you know exactly what. I don't have to describe it. You can see it. Um, so there's nothing you can do for them. Um, you just have to say, you know, the the cliche, trust the process when there's a life on the line. Uh, so we give them hope. Uh, I crank out letters. You know, I think we've got about probably anywhere 18, maybe I think this morning to get back out to them. They'll take those. They have to make contributions to the packet as well. They have to write what they call a threat there's letter. There's a picture of you at your desk uh, with a couple of letters there. And that's Yeah, that's... Uh, that's been about a week ago now. So 
I think we're probably pushing above 200 um, letters, SIVs, sponsorship letters, and, and human resources letters. So they send a letter uh, with their information in it. I prove it. Uh, not, not all their English is, is very well. Uh, the interpreters are fantastic. Their sure. English is just, just as good as ours. Um, I'll go through and I'll, I'll edit. I'll make some make some corrections. So because uh, I know what SIV attributes way more weight to than this and that, and make sure that their spacing is off on the font. Just the, that, those things. I send them back. We, I sign them, scan them. We send them back. So now they've got letters. Those are very important because they have to have an American sponsor for the United States. Oh, okay. But they have to write a threat letter to supplement that package that explains, here's what's happened Why to they me. need to get the heck out of Dodge. That whole package then gets emailed to SIV. I talked to SIV August 24th because the gentleman I spoke to, uh, uh, they had a number set up for information, check on the status of your application. And I think once he realized this was American on the end of the phone, that it was like, you could almost feel like, and he just opened up to me, which was great because I had questions. And he was more than anxious to sort of get it off his chest. He said, he said, Mr. King, he said, we're a month behind processing this. Now, granted, Jennifer, this was before the U.S. forces pulled out. So okay. we're at a frantic pace trying to crank these out and get them out. I said, what's going on with this program? He said, the letter I'm working on right now is July 24th. He said, we're 30 days behind. We're okay. working around the clock. We're going as fast as we can. Um, They'll take that stuff and send it back. They'll either assign them an SIV case number, which is great. That's a big positive. It means they're in the system. In some cases, what we're starting to see now is uh, some of the Afghans we're sponsoring, uh, you know, that we've written the packages for, they're receiving instructions to go to the airport. And they went and they said, but we can't, the airport's closed. You're gone, the airport's closed. Which leads us to the question that you brought up early. What now? There doesn't, yeah. there doesn't seem to be any plan. Now, you have a president who has stood in front of the cameras several times and said, we're not going to leave anyone behind. We're going to get everybody out, all of our allies, our interpreters and everyone. And that didn't happen. No. And now there's no plan to continue this rescue operation. Um, I don't call this whole fiasco an evacuation. That almost sounds too legitimate. I call it more like an eviction. Uh, we were kicked out on their terms, the Taliban terms. There's been billions of dollars of U.S. equipment mm -hmm. um, left behind to yep. fall into enemy hands. For for them to use. They're using it. You can, Absolutely. Again, you know, don't take my word for it. Google it. Or you, you I saw it. that on the news. It must be true. When you see, but I really did see that part. Yeah, you know, it, it's 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 frustrating. Um, it's humiliating, you know, embarrassing as an American when you look and you see the Taliban carrying the weapons that we provided. Yeah. And I just think this is this whole thing. I, I don't think it could have been. When I think it can't get worse, it does. Yeah. Uh, now there's information starting to come out that the president had been talking with the president. Uh, uh, Ghani of Afghanistan, uh, as late as late July, maybe early August, uh, basically uh, suggesting that he change uh, his his stance on things so the it alters the perception that everything is okay here. As a common American, you're asking him to lie, right? So you knew the truth. You knew things were going downhill a month ahead. The CIA pulled out seven weeks before the evacuation. There's huge failures along the line somewhere. And and I mean, let's be honest, this thing's been going on for 20 years. So it's not one president or one decision that's been made before we all start, everyone starts. No, it's not. Yeah, it's been going on 20 years. We've been there two decades. But it happened now. Yeah. And I think, uh, and I'm not up here to bash the administration. Not about, I will present facts, and I'll share my view on those facts, and yeah. then I'll try and qualify those facts. I think you see an administration now toting the fact that, well, we've evacuated over 100,000 people, and that's great. It probably is the largest human airlift in history. Kudos to that. But how much more effective could it have been had there been a plan in place? 
<laughs> if we've got that many people out under duress, how many more could we have done if if the pro, if this would have been a little more planned? How many letters would you say that you've written um, since you know you started getting the run for your life requests? And you are one person. Well, you're a team, but you two are a team. How yeah. many? And because you're one person, so there are other folks out there doing. Somewhat what you're doing, I, I'm I assuming. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm going to say. I mean, I'm I'm confident we're over 200 now. Um, okay. You know, and I'll go back and, and, and work on more this afternoon and, and this evening. Um, a funny story, not funny, haha, but it's like I contacted uh, our congressman Bill Johnson's office. Yeah, and I spoke to his representative Ironton, and I said, "Hey, the SIB," and I kind of explain to him, is there any, you know, the, the door's closing here and I've still got a lot of people in the process. And he said, well, we have a desk. So let me put you in touch with someone. I'm going to have Dawn call you yeah. from Congressman Johnson's office. And we have a desk, a unit set up to help people with this. We've helped a few. It's great. So uh, the next day I get a call from Dawn. Well, that's and, nice. And yeah, it was nice. Nice to get the return call. And I explained the situation to her, and she said, "Yes, we've we've been able to help some people." She said, "How many SIV cases do you have?" <laughs> I said, "We're probably close to 200 at this point." And there was silence. <laughs> she said, never, "Don said, oh, no." <laughs> yeah, ne- she said, "We've never, we've never handled that that many." Yeah. And I said, "Don, these are these are, these cases have one person on them." Each person is going to have an immediate family, which is a wife and children. I said, so basically what I'm saying, there's probably a plane load of Afghan allies on my desk that need help, that are trapped inside, and they cannot get out. Yep. And she said, let me let me speak to the congressman and staff, and, and, and I'll get back to you. Um, so they haven't had a chance to do that yet. I want to trust that they're still researching. Uh, no one seems to know what how this SIV process is going to continue to help extract them from this situation now that we're gone. Right. So we're just in limbo. But in oh, the meantime, man. you know, uh, it's discouraging. Yeah. It's what's scary. But you know, my, yeah. my personal take on this is as long as I'm getting requests, I'm going to keep providing letters. Good for uh, you. So I have them, you know, I say, show me your global ID, show me your documentation. And it's funny. A lot of the certificates I see when they send, it's got my name on it, you know. Uh, so I'll keep cranking those out. As long as they have the means to ask for them, then that tells me the communication is still open there and I can provide them back. Now, the problem we're going to start seeing now as Taliban continues to to sort of exert more influence, mm-hmm. they're in control. But now they just have to decide, you know, what areas they want to influence the most. Ministry of Communications is going to be a huge deal to watch because – if, if they can get all of the journalists out that they want out and leave the ones behind that they think they can have uh, a, a positive relationship with. Control over. Control over. Um, so we'll see what happens there. But I think in Afghanistan it's different. It's not like here where you and I have plans on our phone. You know, In Afghanistan it's more like the, the straight talk version of a phone. You have, you have to go to Rashawn, a couple other providers, Scratch your card off and you get so many days worth of usage on your phone. Okay. But the Ministry of Communications controls the internet and the cell towers and all that. So if Taliban goes in and shuts that down, then the country oh, goes into blackout. You right. See? Uh, and then they can have a lot of, uh, they can totally control the amount of information and, and the, the content of the information that flows out. So, you know, it hasn't happened yet. But we'll see. We'll see as this thing unfolds. The, the Taliban, is is that a, um, it's not a religion. Is it, I, I, what, yeah. what do you, is it? Yeah, they're Muslim, is it, Islam. Okay. Um, and how, how nothing against recent Islam, Muslim. is I know you know, Muslims that, are my friend, but the like, Taliban. When did that on. start? That I don't know. Okay. Uh, but I mean, it's centuries. Um, gotcha. Taliban has a history. You know, they're not the new kids on the block, but they're not as, old as the religion itself it's more of a so if they're I could almost compare, like a, are they like a cult like a, or a sect of of the muslim 
religion where they take certain parts and then run off of it? I wouldn't say that, but I, I you know, I can't speak that they're extreme proponents of what they call Sharia law, which is, which is a very strict, strict version of Islam. Okay. Let me try and equate that here so people can understand. Sure. But I don't want to, I want to be careful not to do this in a negative way. My wife and I are believers. We attend church, we pray, we read our Bibles, you know, it's part of who we are. Uh-huh. Um, and then you have other people that pray and read their Bibles and they attend church, but they're, uh, they're in a much more um, dedicated, if not that we're not dedicated. Sam, I'm struggling for words here. You have Amish, mm-hmm. great people. And you have uh, what I want to say Pentecostal, mm-hmm. you know, with the, with the skirts and, and the, the longer hair. Yeah. And, uh, different so interpretation, maybe. Of- there's different degrees or levels. Okay. And, you know, and, and no one wants to say, well, this one's right or this one, you know. Uh, this one's right, those are wrong. I don't, but all I want to do is bring that comparison up to help people understand that all these people I help are Muslim, but the Taliban, you know, are Sharia. They're Muslim, extreme. Muslims too, extreme. Okay. Extreme. Yeah. Women have to be covered. Women can't be educated. Um, there's just so many, you know, men have to grow the beards. Uh, because it says so, and they'll pick out their part of the Quran, that, which is their Bible. Okay. And that's what they'll impose. So if you don't have that, then you get punished. Uh, if it's something, a minor infraction, you'll get a fan belt across the back or something. We have um, a picture, which, yeah, I want to make this point before we run out of time, is, you know, you see a lot of the news agencies talking about, not not purporting, not attacking they're just saying hey this may be taliban 2.0 i'm not convinced i'm not sold on that i think that i always told cat from the beginning the taliban is going to be the taliban sure and they're going to impose and enforce this strict sharia law now once again um i don't rely on the major news networks to, to base my opinions i go in this situation i go to the ground truth so we received uh, picture the other day. This is the ground truth we received. Very raw, unedited. It's just person to person. Yep. And one of them had taken had someone take a picture of their back. Yeah, Kat showed me that just before we went on the... He had had a hot yeah. sear put on him yep. and then whipped because it was part of the interrogation of who in your family has cooperated with the Westerners? Which who would be us. Right. It could be us, could be UK, it could be anyone anybody, other, anybody other, other than, than them. them. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, who served in the, uh, the, the ANA, Afghan National Army, ANP, Afghan National Police, because all those represent the the former government that collapsed. So gotcha. the Taliban, you know, they, now it's retribution time. But you're not hearing a lot about this on the media. There are executions happening. There's door-to-door searches now. Um I call them accountings, uh, you know, because they want to know who's who, where they live. So it's just going to make the, it's going to streamline the process once things get filtered out and they're the, the media blackout I told you about. Yeah. See, then they're going to have a free hand to do anything without very much less escaping out into the national world, the eyes of the world. Um, but it's happening now. There's door to door searches going on uh, the beatings, the whippings and the executions. But you don't hear about that. Mm-mm. But we're getting it from Afghanistan. So we're going to see. This story is going to continue to, to evolve, and it's going to continue to take a front seat to, to everything. What would you say to the people that say, you know what? I don't want them in this country. Like They're Afghanistan. They just need to stay over there and... and um, Forget them. I would say open up an account on Ancestry.com, then come talk to me in a week. See where you came from. Yeah. Because at one time you were in their shoes. Yeah. More than likely. Or your people were. Yep. Yeah, I'm not going to argue with anybody over this. Uh, I know what I've got to do. My heart leads me and what I've got to do is right. Well, and I think, you know, you've definitely found a calling. And, and, you know, 
I'm never going to argue with someone that has, has lived something and experienced it. And, you know, don't be so quick to judge until you've walked in someone's shoes. You know, don't be so quick to badmouth medical marijuana if you've never seen a family member die of cancer. Or don't be, you know, unless you've actually lived it, don't be so quick to judge. Yeah, be open-minded. That's, it's very simple for us to sit here and say, oh, who cares? They're they're across the world. Who cares? Just let them, whatever. As long as they're not here, oh, well. Yeah. Bothering it, you know, us. I, I, I don't know if I would be as engaged in this if I didn't have a personal connection. Right. I, I'm. You but know, you do. Are, but I do. So there was no question in my mind. Something had to be done. Yes. And these, you know, they're pleading to help. There's. I can promise you now there's been emails and messages come in. Podshaw, help me. It was to the point where it had overflowed so much. My wife stepped in because she communicates with him. She's the one who really talks with him. I'm too busy. And that's how that whole started. She said, you know, they're saying, why, why aren't you answering me, Podshaw? Why, why do you leave me here? Why I'm going to die? And she steps in and says, no, no, no. He's, he's busy fighting for you. He's busy working for you. I'm here. And sometimes I'll answer them when I could get a chance and I'll say, look, the American forces, the man pulled up. We're here. We're fighting for you. We're going to help you. We're going to do our best. I can't uh, live. I can't. Knowing that I didn't do anything here. You didn't at least try. You have to. Where do you see this thing going? Uh, I think this is, I think what we're doing is going to be the, the human tragedy here. Okay. Uh, I'm hoping SIB in time, uh, they can, you know, find some process or means to, to extract these people. Either we get them into Pakistan, but see, Taliban controls the borders. Um, if they open up the airports back up to commercial flights, now, Taliban has made statements saying, no, 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 we're going to, if they want to leave, they we're can We're going to be the nice Taliban now. Yeah, but the information we receive in the ground truth says different. Um, but if that works... You know, it's going to be the the, the human uh, humanitarian side of this thing. Uh, we'll have to see if we can get them out. Political side of this is not going to go away. Okay. It is not going to go away. Um, you know, it was mishandled. There, there's a, there was just a better way. Um, and it, it, coincidentally, there seems to be more information leaking out on this each hour as the different as the different major players in this begin the finger pointing. The crisis is over. We've got them out. Our troops are out. So that part of the crisis has passed. We still have to work on these people, but now it's all about the political spin, pushing the narratives. And I think as, uh, as one entity begins to take heat, they're going to try and provide something, a leak or something that's going to point toward another entity and the finger pointing is going to start. In the meantime, the American public is going to be fed little doses of truth uh, and evidence and proof. And you can come to your own conclusion. But I, I don't think this the political side of this is going to go away for some time. Uh, and that's just the drama. Sure. America's reputation on a world stage is how can our allies ever trust us again? How can anybody have any kind of faith and confidence when they see you leave numbers, perhaps over a thousand U.S. citizens, aside from our Afghan allies, you leave them behind? Yeah, I mean, um, I don't know if it was James or my husband, whichever James it was that told me. Uh, there was a, a group of high school kids, like missionary kids that they left. Yeah, I've, I've heard the stories, but I haven't seen it. Like, what? Um, how does that happen? Well, how does it happen when you have a president that stands and says, we're not leaving anyone behind. We're going to stay until they're done. And then it gets watered down. The next thing you know, it's wheels up and we're out of there. Um, Is there uh, yeah, okay, I understand it happens. Maybe there are tactical issues, tactical concerns to consider. Maybe, some, But it, at the end of the day, how is America perceived now yeah. as a result of the way this was handled and the way it's going to be handled? Uh, so this, is, this side of it's not going to go away. For a long time, I'm afraid. Um, How are we going to get those people out of there? You know, I, I don't know what their plan is. I know if, uh, you know, I, I guess I, me? Yeah. Uh, 
I would probably try and get them to the Pakistani border and let, let's, let's get you out of there. But see, Taliban's in Pakistan too. Okay. Um, the Panjshir Valley, which is a whole thing. We never even got into this. And I have a lot to say about the Panjshir Valley. I've been there. Uh, most, most of these guys are Panjshiris that I'm helping. Uh, right now, that is the only province in Afghanistan that has not fallen to the Taliban. And they're fighting back. The Panjshir Valley never fell to the Russians during that invasion. So it, it's a very, you know, I've been there many times. It's a very defendable region okay. in the country. Very mountainous, very rugged, very tough. And the people there are the same. Are rugged and tough and tribal and they're fierce. They're warriors. Um, we'll see how that, that pans out. Um, but yeah, as to try and get them out, you know, you have people with families. Uh, the economy is right up because when this began to kick off, everyone runs to the ATM. They run to the bank. They want to withdraw everything. Yep. So there's no currency. There's, there's no, no money. There's no money floating around. So it's just, it's, it's a dire situation for them. What makes, I know we're about out of time, but I guess I'm curious, what, why did the Taliban get whatever they want? Like what is so, I don't know what the word is, tough about them that, that they get whatever they want? Well, how have they gotten as far as they've gotten, I guess? You know, I, I don't know how to phrase it exactly. I, and I don't know how to answer it, but I'm, I, I, I have some insight. Um, as Alex mentioned in, in his fantastic article that, uh, you know, I think people's perception, the Taliban aren't a bunch of goat farmers and goat herders and, you know, rural farmhands. Uh, they're very sophisticated uh, and they have, they have technological advancements now that, you know, puts them on par that makes them a worthy opponent. And I'm not giving them any credibility here, but I'm just saying the moral of the story is don't take them lightly. Sure. Um, how they got what they wanted, how they were able to come in and just sweep through. Uh, Jennifer, I think that is going to be part of the truths that are going to come out into this finger pointing and the, and the, and the strategic blunders or decisions that were made that created an atmosphere where that could happen hmm. because uh, it happened so fast. Pretty quick. Uh, and uh, that just tells me either, either there was they were given a green light or... Something, something occurred to launch this. Um, of course, we were there. You know, air support's a huge thing in Afghanistan. If you've got air support, you can, you can control just about any type of uh, environment or contact. The Afghan army, which is a whole other fiasco and blunder, well-equipped. Uh, we provided that, you know. You, if, in those videos, you see those little green Ford pickup trucks. With mm -hmm. the, I can remember standing on the hoods of those and seeing acres of them acres just acres looking out we the u.s provided those to the afghan national police and then the afghan uh, military afghan national army uh well now you see who's driving them you see who's yeah. driving our our uh, mraps and all the other military vehicles and using the hardware but um yeah i don't uh, for this to happen in the way it did i mean it's it, it, it I reach a certain point where it's just mind boggling yeah. to me. And I think don't speak to that until you get more information, but okay. I've got a feeling, Fair. no, I'm not trying to withhold. I'm saying, this is me saying, if you don't know, don't say it. But I look at this and I think, how, how can, how did this happen? I guess I'm asking the same question. Yeah. You how could this happen so quickly? And like I say, it's not an evacuation. It's an eviction. At some point in time, there was, there was authority handed over to them to start dictating the rules. Um, either it was given to them or they seized it and we uh, acquiesced to it and said, okay, yeah. Which either way is wrong. Right. In my opinion. So. Fair enough. Round of time. I, know. I had a lot more to say, but I think, yeah. Well, so. how about we have you come back when you know when, when there's been more developments? I'd love to. I'd love to. Absolutely. And, uh, and I'm sure by then we'll share some success stories because we're already starting to see some success stories come down the line. Good. Yeah. That would be fantastic to sit here and talk about, you know, 
fun stuff. Yeah, we can call Good them. Stuff. You know, we'll call them up. Let them talk on the show too. They'll hey, I love that. That's fantastic. Give them a voice because yeah. they, they want to be heard. And once again, it's ground truth. It's raw. You got it. You're hearing straight from the horse's mouth, if you will. So, well, Scott, thank you for for what you're doing. That's not enough to say, but. Um, Thank you anyway, and uh, we greatly appreciate you spending your Friday morning with us. Thanks for having me. You have me. other things to be doing. Yeah, this is, and you know, it's uh, it's it's our duty as Americans. Yeah. That's the way I feel. I'm not trying to be patriotic and wave the flag in the last seconds of the show, but these they protected me. They helped me. Now they're in need. You better believe I'm going to step up and help them. Yeah. That's who we are. That's right. That's who we are. That's who we should be. So, yep. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank thanks. you. And thanks for Kat, too. She's over there in the in the wings, and uh, she's doing quite a bit to help you out along the way, too. A lot. Yeah. Yeah. So, All right. Well, everyone, thank you so much for watching. We appreciate it. Um, don't forget, this is Labor Day weekend. So let's do our – I'm going to – James laughs at me when I get my soapbox and the finger starts pointing. It's Labor Day weekend. Don't drink and drive. Be very careful and enjoy your time, but enjoy it safely. And we will not be here on Monday as it is Labor Day. So we will see you back here on Tuesday. So that was just a little finger pointing. Good. So, all right. Have a great weekend, everyone. Beautiful weather in the forecast. Uh, highs in the upper 70s. So there you go. We'll see you back here on Tuesday. Thanks for watching. Bye-bye.